going on, everyone? It's Friday, May 13th. Oh, it's Friday the 13th today. <laughs> Don't let that scare you too much. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm here with Rob Litterst. What's going on, Zach? And Mark Dent. How's it going, everyone? Today, we're talking crypto. The market is sliding down. And Rob's going to hone in on some crazy drama that's going on with one coin in particular. We're going to explain what stable coins are and a whole lot of other good stuff. Mark's also going to take us through what's causing an unprecedented shortage in baby formula across the U.S. But before we get into that, let's take a quick look at what else is going on in the business world. First off, some beef going down in the footwear world. There's a platform called StockX. It's kind of like the stock exchange for sneakers. And earlier this year, Nike accused them of selling counterfeit shoes and having a faulty authentication process. Now Nike is taking its claims to court. The company says it bought four pairs of fake Nikes through StockX, but the platform says those claims are baseless. If you think you're having a bad time in the stock market lately, SoftBank has some words for you. The Japanese conglomerate posted a record $27 billion loss, and its biggest disappointment was the Chinese ride-hailing app Didi, which has seen a 70% slide since its IPO last summer. The Senate confirmed Jerome Powell to a second four-year term, leading the Federal Reserve. And at a time of political polarization, Powell got a surprisingly bipartisan vote of support. The vote was 80 to 19 in his favor, but he's going to have his work cut out for him with inflation at a 40-year high. And lastly, Apple is no longer the world's biggest company, at least for now. The oil giant Saudi Aramco is now worth about $2.43 trillion compared with Apple's $2.37 trillion. They can thank oil prices for that. Brent crude, the global benchmark, is up 36% so far this year. And Apple stock, meanwhile, has fallen at more than 17% since January. All right, so before we get into this crypto story, we're going to have to set up a little context here. The crypto market is crashing a little bit. The two largest coins have both dipped more than 50% from their all-time highs last November. Bitcoin's down under 30,000. Ethereum's under 2,000. And a lot of smaller coins have also lost 50 to 80% plus of their value. More than $200 billion has been wiped out of the market uh, just yesterday alone. And one supposed way to hedge against all this volatility is through these things called stable coins. Rob, just to start us out here, what exactly is a stable coin? What are we talking about? Yeah, so stable coins are essentially cryptocurrencies that peg their value to an existing asset. We can get to what kind of assets those actually are here in a second, but they basically offer crypto holders an easy way to move money from their bank to the blockchain. So for instance, if you were to download the Coinbase app or something like that because you wanted to buy crypto, because the prices of Ethereum and Bitcoin and all of those other currencies fluctuate so wildly, you probably don't want to or I don't even think you can just go straight from cash to Bitcoin or Ethereum because in order to actually buy it, it has to kind of clear the blockchain and the price can swing wildly during the time of that transaction. And so what a lot of these exchanges use is these stable coins as a way for you to go to dollars to an asset that essentially reflects the value of a dollar so that then you can buy other cryptocurrency. And there are three main types of stable coins, right? Yeah, exactly. So for the coins to stay stable, they need to be backed by something that they can peg their value to. And this is typically called collateral. And to your point, Zach, there are essentially three types of collateral that you can have in the stable coin market. So there's 
fiat backed, which is, I think, the most conventional approach. It's coins that are backed by a national currency like the US dollar, the Japanese yen, that match the fiat currency and their reserves to the number of coins in circulation. Another way of wording that, so if you had a stable coin that reflected the US dollar, you would have the same amount of dollars in your reserves as you have circulation of those coins kind of out in the wild, right? Mm -hmm. So you back it on kind of like a one-to-one ratio. The next type is cryptocurrency backed stable coins, which are intuitively backed by another cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like that. And typically, these stable coins are going to keep higher amounts of the cryptocurrency in their reserve than the coins that are in circulation because the crypto market is so volatile. So they kind of want to give themselves a buffer in case the prices start trending down and they need more from their reserves than they otherwise would have thought. Mm-hmm. Then there are algorithm-backed stablecoins, which are a little bit harder to explain. They're coins that use an algorithm or a smart contract to peg the stablecoin to another crypto token that helps ensure that the stablecoin remains stable. That's kind of convoluted, and we can get into how it actually works mm-hmm. um, because there's a really big story that's been in the news lately about this relationship and this ratio. But as you can imagine, algorithmic stable coins are pretty controversial, and they have been for a long time because technically they aren't really backed by anything. Right, and that fact can lead to things going quickly very wrong. As you mentioned, we recently saw this happen with the so-called stablecoin Terra. You want to take us through this? What is What exactly is the deal with Terra? Yeah, so Terra has a stable coin. We'll just call it Terra for now. The actual stable mm-hmm. coin is called Terra USD, and it's abbreviated by UST, but we'll just call it Terra because that's sure. a little bit easier. It is pegged to another crypto token called Luna. There's a smart contract between Terra and Luna that essentially dictates that anybody who's holding Terra can always trade one Terra coin, if that's what you want to call it, mm-hmm. for $1 worth of Luna tokens. And those Luna tokens can be worth well under a dollar. They can be worth way more than a dollar. Up until the last week, they were trading well above a dollar. I think exactly a week ago, um, Luna tokens were trading at about $80 mm. per token. And Luna was one of the top 10 cryptocurrencies in the world um, as far as market value. Right. So we're not talking about a, some small coin here. This is this is a very large cryptocurrency. No, this is a, a big cryptocurrency. Exactly. Yeah. So the relationship between Terra and Luna obviously can fluctuate, right? So the agreement of the smart contract, again, is that at any time you should be able to trade a Terra for $1 worth of Luna. As you can imagine, a lot of the people in crypto are people that are very savvy with finance and they're looking for opportunities to make money. And it's funny because Terra and Luna actually kind of rely on these people to keep the value of Terra reflecting $1. Mm-hmm. So if UST or if Terra trades above $1, people can buy $1 worth of Luna and exchange them for one Terra and instantly profit, right? So there's kind of this arbitrage opportunity there if Terra is trading above $1. On the other side of that, if Terra is trading below $1, people can buy one Terra for under a dollar and then exchange it for a dollar's worth of Luna because of the smart contract Mm -hmm. and instantly profit on that as well. And so it seems kind of sketchy and scammy, but that mechanism is actually what has traditionally kept the price of Terra right at $1. Gotcha. But the recent panic in crypto has kind of caused that to unravel. Okay. So ideally, this thing needs to stay as close to $1 as possible for it to be stable. But this past week, the wheels completely fell off of Terra. 
tens of billions of dollars in market value wiped out. What kind of damage are we talking here? Huge damage. I mentioned earlier the value of Luna was at $81 per token last week. It's at around a penny this week as we speak right now. Um, and predictably, nobody really wants to buy it anymore, Okay, which is causing a huge problem for Terra. And do we know what happened here or are we still kind of in the dark? Yeah. So Matt Levine from Bloomberg, he writes a column called Money Stuff. It's amazing. He makes really complicated finance stuff like this sound really simple and could do a much better job explaining it than I did. But he was my favorite read on this. He described it as a death spiral. So the way that he described it is basically if a bunch of people decide to sell Luna, then the price of Luna will go down. But it doesn't necessarily mean the price of Terra will go down because people will come in, they might buy Luna and then exchange it for Terra in that arbitrage trade that we were talking about earlier to kind of make the value of Terra settle around $1. Mm-hmm. And then if a bunch of people sell Terra, then the price may fall a little bit, but then arbitrage traders will come in and do the same thing there to get the value back to $1. Hmm. But what happened here is people lost confidence in the system. The entire kind of cryptocurrency system across coins, you mentioned it earlier, is really tanking and started Mm -hmm. dumping both Lunas and Terras, which led to this death spiral that Levine described. Hmm. Basically, the issue here is for other stable coins that are not algorithmic, they're at least pinned to something that they have in reserve. So there's at least like some semblance of a floor, even if that floor is falling. Sure. Like if you have a cryptocurrency backed stable coin, then yeah, there that floor will have been falling recently with the prices of Bitcoin and Ethereum falling. But with Luna, there's really no floor to how low it can fall because it's pretty much made up and not actually backed by anything. It's really just a function of this smart contract and Hmm. essentially used just to keep that price of Terra right around $1. Hmm. So, you know, in the aftermath of all this this week, the founder of this thing, Do Kwan, he has been called a pretty controversial guy. He's a Stanford grad. He lives in Singapore now. And in the past, he's just had a habit of insulting anyone who's criticized any shortcoming of this project. He's called his critics poor, and uh, he's said that he would take joy in watching other companies collapse. Coindesk has now come out with some reports that he was also behind other failed stablecoin projects. People are calling him a carn artist, and some have called him the Elizabeth Holmes of crypto. Wow. So I guess, you know, all of us in mind, this and other stablecoin projects are supposed to be kind of a safe bet in crypto. They're, they're supposed to be an antidote to this speculative market. They're like the one safe bet we're supposed to be able to make in cryptocurrency. So if we can't even trust stablecoins, you know, I imagine that's not going to bode well for the trust mechanisms that are in place for crypto at large right now. I would say you're 100% right. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's not just algorithmic stablecoins that are suffering right now. Um, Tether, which is a fiat-backed stablecoin that's tied to the US dollar, actually fell below $1 um, yesterday, I believe, Mm. down to like 96 cents or something like that. So um, I don't even know if I mentioned how far Terra dropped, but Terra dropped to 30 cents on the dollar. So well below Mm -hmm. the dollar value that it's supposed to hold. So obviously Tether didn't fall that far, but it, it did fall off from a dollar. And to your point, Zach, I think it is really hard to kind of trust the infrastructure of crypto and the mechanisms that are in place to keep it safe if these things that are literally invented to try to keep it stable and predictable are also breaking. And in this case, kind of worse than everything else in crypto. It's it's kind of crazy. Right. All right. Well, Mark, let's turn to you now. We've we've got another story on the plate. There's 
a separate problem going on in society. Uh, this one is actually rooted in the physical world. And there's a baby formula shortage. You're going to tell us what's going on here. But to start, I guess, you know, for anyone who might not have a small child or has raised a kid, um, what is this stuff and, and what is the scope of its use? Yeah, baby formula in its most common form is whey protein from cow's milk that has been altered to resemble breast milk. There are also other varieties from soy and derived from other types of protein. And then there's a lot of other ingredients in there, protein, fat, calcium, minerals, all kinds of things that are set by the FDA and in a very stringent regulatory process. And there are also very specific specialty formulas, you know, for different children who might have allergies or, or some other kind of thing that would require that. And then on top of that, we also have formula for children who are a little bit older than infants, who are one, two years old, et cetera. So it's quite a large market. And an interesting thing about these shortages is that uh, some of them are impacting these specialty formulas. So it's not so simple as just being like, well, I can just switch to a different type. Parents like to continue to give their child the same formula no matter what, uh, and then especially for infants who require these specialty ones. Hmm. And and there are a lot of infants who are using this. Um, uh, according to the CDC, nearly 20% of all infants start using it, at least in part, just in the first few days after their birth. And then after about three months, only about half of babies are still exclusively breastfeeding. And then that number falls to about 25% at six months. So you're, you're talking about the great majority of babies are ingesting this formula right. when they're very young, at least part of the time, if, if not most of the time. Mm. So this is something parents heavily rely on for yeah. safe nutrition of their infants. But lately, a lot of customers are noticing that it's not on the shelves or there's a lot less of it than there used to be, at least. So right now, as we get to this first week of May, according to Data Assembly, which tracks a lot of different prices and, and quantities of different items at grocery stores, there are about 43% of uh, baby formulas that are out of stock nationwide. Some states and cities are seeing well over 50%. Uh, that includes where I'm at here in Texas. The state averages around above 50%. And the New York Times has reported that San Antonio, at least a couple of days ago, was the city with the biggest shortages in the entire country. Wow. So it's really bad in certain places. Now, normally, you would see only around 2% to 8% of baby formulas out of stock per date assembly, at least. And they, they've kind of been tracking it through the pandemic. And last year, that's where we were at. And for, mm. for most of 21, it was around 2%. It was getting up to 5 to 10% toward the end of the year. And now it has just uh, skyrocketed over the last three months and especially over the last three or four weeks. Wow. And why are we drying up here? So there's one problem that's like the problem with everything in the business world and probably the crypto world, every single world, right? Which is the pandemic uh, is confusing stuff. Mm -hmm. The supply chains got tangled up. And then last year when the pandemic first broke out, there was like a run on baby formula, just like there was a lot of other products. And that, you know, worked itself out a little bit, which is why 2021, you had not a lot of stock issues, although prices did go up a little bit. But that hoarding from early days of the pandemic led to reduced demand, right? Because people had a bunch of it in their cupboards already at home. And so that led to producers producing less 
And then we had these normal supply chain issues of COVID at the factory and and whatever else uh, throwing a wrench into things. And, And so there was just this really murky picture, but that's just part of it. Like what's different about baby formula is that there's a lot of other factors that make this different than say the chip shortage or sure. other things that, that we've been talking about for the last you know year or two. And one of those was the recalls of baby formula from Abbott Nutrition. So Abbott has this plant in Michigan and traces of the bacteria Chronobacter were found there earlier this year. And, and that happened after a few babies got sick and, and two babies actually died. And uh, it, it is potentially attributed to that Chronobacter. So that factory had to stop producing they voluntarily removed some of their very popular formulas. And so Abbott, Gerber, and Mead Johnson basically have a monopoly on U.S. formula sales. Those are the three biggest brands, and and they are huge. So when Hmm. one of those has to recall a couple of its different formulas, it makes a really big difference. Hmm. And it was only this week that the FDA struck a deal with Abbott to start allowing it to produce formula again at that Michigan plant on a case-by-case basis. So it was in February when they decided to remove those formulas. And now two and a half months later, they're only now ramping up production again on a case-by-case basis. Hmm. Seems like there's also some geographic differences with this shortage. We've heard, as you mentioned, you know, maybe with the chip shortage, there are global supply chain issues. This is a little closer to home. This is like uh, the rare non-globalism supply chain deal. Hmm. It's definitely uh, quite a bit different than, than what we've seen in a lot of our other shortages. And so, like I was mentioning, the recall happened because of a plant in Michigan, products made here in, in the good old United States. And whilst there are certainly some formulas that are, are made overseas, the FDA has very tight regulations on what can be in those formulas, right? So even in Europe, which produces very similar formulas for sale over there, those cannot just be like shipped over here. There are parents who buy those online through gray markets and whatnot because they believe in them, but they don't fit the same stringent regulations that the FDA has. Mm -hmm. So if we are to get formulas from elsewhere, they need to be produced to those standards. And in Europe right now, it's also not that easy to just like ramp up new production anywhere because a lot of facilities have been taken over and used for something else to ship things to Ukraine because, you know, production is down there. And then finally, one other kind of complicating issue with this formula shortage that was actually kind of brought up by this firm called Demographic Intelligence. And they were explaining this to the Washington Examiner, how they do a twice yearly survey on breastfeeding. And and the CDC does as well. But Demographic Intelligence found that rates of breastfeeding have gone down quite a bit between 2019 and 2022. Hmm. And I was looking at the CDC breastfeeding reports, and it has also declined slightly over the last couple of years. So throw all these different kind of supply chain things, these FDA regulations, and and then the fact that it would seem that more people are just using formula generally. And and that's where we are. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of talking heads say, why not just breastfeed babies like the good old days? Why do we even need baby formula? And they think that this shortage is just trumped up. It's a non-issue, but it's a little more complicated than that, right? There are, I'm sure, gender and social inequalities at play. There are reasons that people can't breastfeed. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when people are at work, it's not so easy to breastfeed. And the CDC, as part of their kind of breastfeeding report card that that they keep track of every year, this was a couple of years ago, but the CDC noted that almost half of employers provide worksite lactation support programs. Mm-hmm. So think about that. That means half do not. Right. There are all kinds of ways in which people would need to use baby formula. And, it, and it's just incredibly hard to get now. And, and people who are finding it are finding that it's going for double the rate that it normally is, or sometimes even more. Hmm. Rob, I'm, I'm interested to get your perspective as a, a new dad. Like how, how have you and your wife been weathering the storm here? Our baby has been fully breastfed, but it's not lost on me. That definitely is a privilege to be able to do that. We both work from home primarily and have the flexibility for my wife to be able to pump if she needs to and kind of stock the fridge with milk if she's not going to be around. So we have not really been affected by the formula shortage personally, Mm. but we have friends that definitely have. And you guys hit, I think, a lot of the socioeconomic reasons that formula is much more popular in some areas. There are also kind of gender equality reasons as well. We have a couple friends who use formula as a way to really kind of divvy up the work evenly between the mom and the dad. When your wife or when the mother kind of doubles as food source, there tends to be like a certain dynamic between the baby and the mother. And it can, I think, really naturally kind of spiral into the mother taking over a lot more childcare duties than the father sometimes. And so I think that's what our friends have tried to avoid by going to formula. But yeah, you nailed it, Mark. I think there are a lot of reasons why people choose to feed their babies formula. And this is a super, super critical issue that hopefully we can figure out soon. Mark, have you seen any kind of outlook on when we might get a little relief here? To to be honest with you, I I have not. There is really no signs of it abating quickly. The one bit of positive news, as I mentioned earlier, was that that Abbott facility has started to ramp up again, but on a case-by-case basis, as I mentioned. And there was a lot of criticism over why the FDA was dragging its heels and and why it had taken so long for them to uh, figure out how to get Abbott to start producing those types of formulas again in a safe way. Mm. Now that they're going to be able to start doing that, that could help. But like I said, there there isn't really a simple fix to this because of the USA's stringent uh, regulations for what goes into the formula. So you have similar formulas in Europe that we can't use. Although, like I said, there are plenty of parents who buy them online and and find a way to get them here. But yeah, there's not like that quick of a way to, uh, to fix this thing. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on this and on the crypto world. <laughs> and uh, hopefully things will begin to work themselves out soon. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor is Robert Hartwig and our executive producer is Darren Clark. If you liked what you heard today, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over at thehustle.co. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll catch you all next week. 